We're back. It's what it is. This is another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar bringing you an Oscar sprint profile of The Irishman, the long-awaited, long-anticipated, long-gestated, long-time-in-a-chair-watching Martin Scorsese's latest featuring Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, (laughs) Joe Pesci. Uh, You've heard all those names previously here. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar. This is December 5th, 2019, the two-year anniversary of the debut of the equally as renowned film Daddy's Home 2, featuring Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg reprising their roles, much like De Niro, Pesci, and Pacino are reprising kind of their previous roles they've done in other movies. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Yeah, also Mike here. I'm sure somebody from the Irishman was in Daddy's Home too, because most actors in the world were in the Irishman. Well, they had enough time to be. And they're ruining our six degrees of MMO future. That's true. Michael. That's true. Dune and this movie and yeah. Avengers Endgame, they all have everybody in them. What's the other one, too? I know Dune was one. Oh, and Christopher Nolan's latest. Tenet, the new yes. one. Yeah, Tenet. He's going to have too many right. actors. Exactly. I agree. So we're going to have to disqualify those as entries from now on. At some point, yeah. it's going to have to be six degrees with a caveat. Right. It doesn't sound right. It no, work. no. It barely works as it is. <laughs> Mike, I think I spent as much time, if not more, yes. working on puns for the Irishman as I did getting ready for this podcast about the Irishman. Okay, so you came up with a bunch of fake titles. This was a big hit on Twitter. I did not. Okay. <laughs> I did not look anywhere to see if I'm stealing from anybody. No, I right. may very well have. No, this is all from your brain. This is from yeah. my brain. And whether or not I'm copying people, if I am, we have The Shining together. <laughs> Which is just FYI. The only explanation. The only explanation. We've all been there. Because <laughs> I didn't read any reviews for this. Right. I listened to a couple of friends' podcasts. Mm-hmm. That's it. Old fellas. Mm-hmm. All right. It's simple. <laughs> Old fellas. Right. right off the bat. No country for young men. Makes a lot of sense. The D-Age of Innocence. <laughs> I like it. This was my favorite. Yeah. I don't know if it's your favorite, but Driving Miss Pesci. That one's very good. It's I very, very good. I think that made me laugh the hardest <laughs> and the longest. I had the giggles. After saying that one, it's obviously not funny anymore. It got some love when you posted on Twitter, too. People appreciate it. Look, it's not funny anymore, and I'm just, I've resigned to that fact. (laughs) The next title is Avengers Assemble My Wheelchair. Terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. My Big Fat Italian Funeral. I like it. And Whack the Fockers. (laughs) They should have had Ben Stiller as a walk on cameo just to be in like a graveyard scene or something. Whack the Fockers is still kind of funny to me, too. I agree with that. But you're right. Ben Stiller. Deserved to be in this movie. Right. I mean, he had the haircut to be in this movie. Certainly, he looks the part, and he's got the history with Al Pacino. He or, been not Pacino. I'm sorry, De Niro. Yeah, I mean, they all look the same anymore. Been somebody giving the eye to De Niro that would have been full circle for De Niro's right. career. But you also spent some time working on some of these too. Yeah, I went with three uh, uh, Scorsese ripoff titles, <laughs> and then one that's just an old man title. I went the the Rocky Road Review, a Jimmy Hoffa story by like Martin this. Scorsese. I like this because I like Rocky Road ice cream, <laughs> and so, so does much. Al Pacino. In yes, this movie, yes. 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 Uh, I have the Mastiffs of Mean Street, right. because all these people are very mean, and their faces are droopy like a bat bull mastiff. They, they look like bull mastiffs. I, I, I didn't need the explanation, there, but I, I got it. For the the first best time, jokes but. are the ones that are thoroughly explained <laughs> yes, after the fact. Yes. Uh, I have Mutter Island. For the same reason. Right. They're old, you see, Mike. Right. This is, me. This is low-hanging fruit I'm batting with. Now, this next one is dependent on your delivery and your prowess as an actor. I right. Know, I don't know if you can pull this off. Uh, it's uh, the, the other... Final one I came up with was catch me if you can. damn it that was quick. Because, you almost pulled it right. They're all old, you see, Mike. Is the point here? <laughs> here we go. Yeah, roaring uh, start. Uh, we got a lot of old people jokes coming, folks. We're so we're, sorry. We're not mature. No, no. One Just of the things we are certainly not. 
Mike, we got a few responses from the audience yes. on that Twitter chain there that I have to mention. Mm-hmm. Mark Burgundy at the one Hanson said the nearly departed. Yeah, that sounds right. Which I like. <laughs> Eric Anderson at awards underscore watch wrote de-aging bull. That's pitch perfect. That's exactly what I was going for. (laughs) Furious Cinema said days of wine and bread. Sure. (laughs) Days of wine and roses. Right, right, right. right. And of course, Dark Nook at Dark Nook Shop said the French onion soup connection. (laughs) Because they're old, Mike. Because they're old. How long are we going to have the giggles after this? Yeah, well, that was a good five-minute start to this episode. segment. Old people. Not joined us before for an Oscar Sprint profile, and if you're still listening, God bless you. I promise you there's going to be actual movie talk here You're young people listening. Right, exactly. Because old people are forever. Yeah, we're not getting them back after that start. That's it. But if you've not joined us before, for an Oscar Sprint Profile, what they are, are two reviews for the price of one. The first half of every review is our non-spoiler review. We go through the production profile of the movie, we go through kind of how it was made, the performances, the scores, we put it up to an Oscars lens and tell you what you can probably expect, or likely expect, hopefully to expect, come Oscars Sunday time. If you're looking for the spoilers or our analysis of the plot of what actually happens in the twists and turns of the movie, that's all saved for the second half of these OSP reviews is how we lovingly refer to these Oscar Sprint Profile episodes. That's when we'll get into all the spoiler stuff, we'll talk about the plot, all the twists and turns so if you're looking for that that's the second half of these if you have not seen the movie yet because you have a life to live uh that's okay this is where you want to be it's non-spoiler to start so let's get into it starting with a production profile for the irishman the oscar sprint profile michael uh so we've previewed this movie a hundred times now so we'll be a little quicker with this today the irishman is directed obviously by martin scorsese and steve zalian writes the screenplay adapted from the book i heard you paint houses by charles brandt the Irishman stars Robert De Niro and then, like, everybody. So can I just leave it there? Do <laughs> sounds, we know who's yeah, in Yeah, we this? got it. No, we got Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel's in it, Ray Romano, Anna Paquin, most of my family. I mean, I, I just saw them in there. Bobby it was Thanksgiving, Conno- after all. Yeah, Bobby Cannavale, Stephen Graham, Catherine Narducci, Dominic Lombardazzi, Jesse Plemons, and a who's who of Scorsese and mob movie TV cinema veterans. Yeah, a lot of, hey, there's that person in this movie there's as well. Out of that person. Uh, Just to update you on some numbers with how this movie's doing, it was reported previously. The budget number for this has been all over the place, and we've reported numbers and presumptions up to nearly 300 million. Didn't seem to climb that high, at least not according to the latest figures that we could find. It was reported the budget had rose to about 175 million. That appears to be a little off, as now it's said that the budget uh, peaked at 159 million dollars. As for some scores, Michael, critics give this a 94 meta score with 97 percent on 343 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Only 343 critics have decided to make their voices heard. Audiences are saying 86% on Rotten Tomatoes and 8.3 on 89k votes on IMDb. Yeah, the Rotten Tomato audience score is a little bizarre. There's less than a thousand votes right now, but they just went through this whole process of reconfiguring how they do audience scores in general on their site over the summer which we reported on so who knows what that actually means but this movie's been well received overall and that's before you consider what happened earlier today it was announced as one of the AFI's top 10 films of the year it just was anointed in the last two days between both the National Board of Review and the New York's Film Critics Circle it won both those organizations best film of the year as we talked about at least as far as the NBR award goes on last uh, yesterday's or two days ago at this when you're listening to it, Oscar Race Checkpoint episode. Plot premise reads, Michael, a mob hitman recalls his possible involvement with the slaying of Jimmy Hoffa. Emphasis on possible, right? Because that's the whole 
the gig of this movie. Nobody really knows what happened mm -hmm. to Jimmy Hoffa. And if you go around and take people's kind of perceptions of the original book, which you're going to talk about because you read slash listened to it, and I have not because I don't book. Uh, <laughs> what People don't really put a lot of stock into what this man says overall. Well, one of the cooler things about the book is they kind of analyze that fact. Like, the writers analyzing cool. it in the book. It's, Good. A, it's a big, huge chapter in there uh, towards the end of it. So that, that was interesting. In the movie, it's portrayed definitively, let's Without say. Without question, yes. So I don't think that's a spoiler. But I wanted to talk expectations with you to yeah. start. Let's go. A few major questions for me. Okay. And this is, could be, we could go a whole podcast on this. We will. <laughs> Would the advent of getting movies like The Irishman on Netflix make Netflix indispensable to us? It's a as very interesting question. It's a very, I have kind of a take on it, but I want to hear yours first. Well, the, the answer for me was yes. Mm. Like, I watched this once in the theaters. But it was totally worth it to have the novelty of a brand spanking new movie at my fingertips at home. I yeah. was able to watch this over and over again like we used to do at college, like I used to do when I was a little kid with Mary Poppins, like I always have done in my life, Michael. But I had this shiny new movie, emphasis on the word shiny, to just immerse myself in. Yeah. It was so cool to do that. This would have cost me pre-movie pass like 50 bucks to do in the past. And then with movie pass, I did this with like a Phantom Thread. Like I went to a Phantom right. Thread every night. Because you kept delaying the recording, so I just kept going back, lonely, and waiting for Mike to, you know, schedule me for the recording. The words you're looking for are, thank you. <laughs> I just kept going back every night, because it was for free. It right. was Movie Pass. Right. It is a unique, I have kind of a take on it. I don't know that we're going to get another one of these types of things ever again. I'm going to talk more about that uh, as we get to it. But what was question number two, Michael? Well, it's two through 17. Okay. Because <laughs> the main question here is, why is this movie so addictive? Mm. Question 2A or 3 is what the fuck is wrong with me? Why would I watch this so much? Uh, because I could? Question mark? Because mm -hmm. it it was the perfect snowy cold weekend where I was stuck dog sitting two adorable puppies who just want to wrestle and run around every day and I can just chill with a movie? I will say the perfect storm missed its calling when it had a screenplay because it should have been about your weekend. It should have been movie. about my weekend. Yeah. I watched this every day yeah. over the weekend, over the long Thanksgiving Day break, mm -hmm. except for on Thanksgiving Day. Right. Every other day, I watch this movie. I mean, is it because I'm Italian? Is it because all these characters <laughs> remind me of family and friends? And the fact that I liked hanging out with them? Is it because of Scorsese? Is it because of our fascination with evil gangsters and dirty deeds done dirt cheap? I'm starting to spit song lyrics, Mike. Somebody stop me. It's. I, it, I mean, I could keep going on and on. Why is this movie so addictive? It is addictive. I echo your sentiment in thinking that it is addictive. The only caveat I would have is, and this is something we talked about before hitting record, you watched this a bunch already. Five times. Five Four times. Four times on Netflix. I. It has taken me five days to almost get through it a second time. I'm still not done with my second rewatch But you kind of wanted to rewatch it. Yeah, and that's, that's what I was going to bring up. It, it is, I think, very rewatchable, except that I, I think it's going to be very difficult for you to block out three and a half hours at your leisure just to watch it. In a one sitting again. But you're not the Renee Zellweger to my Tom Cruise. You did not have me at hello here. You don't get me at all. But you don't get me at all. That's the that's the weird thing. Like, I don't know why this I gravitate to this movie yeah. as much as I do. Yeah. And I do. Yeah. And I wanted to rewatch it and I was obsessed with it. I get obsessed with things. Well, it does speak to you, and it. it does I mean it does, like you kept saying when we talked about this, you found a lot to relate to in this. Yeah. And this is 
I mean, if there's no other calling card, I know it's weird to talk about representation in a Martin Scorsese old Italian guy movie, but you're making the case that representation across all movies matter because everyone should be able to have this feeling that you have with this movie. And yet, I hate all these characters. I hate them with a passion. They're scum. Aren't they scum? Yes, they are. I mean, except they're not for, like, good the people. families, but they're yeah. scum. It's the same way as, uh, you know, Tony Soprano and The Sopranos. Yes. Like, you watch it a first time, and there's a novelty to how evil they are, and it's, they're kind of cool. Let's be honest. Yeah. They're cool. Well, that's the appeal. You rewatch it, and you're like, oh, that regular businessman, yeah. they just took his entire life away. He's got a family. Yeah. yeah, right. And they just basically took over his sporting goods store. <laughs> right. In the most scummy, right. illegal way possible. You assholes. But you keep hitting play on the I next episode. Right. Play. So, I, I mean, wait. that's, yeah, I mean, that's the appeal of it. These are very cool characters. As far as my expectations with this, I was cautiously optimistic because the time really did freak me out. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. And I was cautiously optimistic that everybody involved with this had one more, like, great reunion in them. This kind of felt like if the Beatles, all four were still around and they wanted to tour now, it's right. kind of what it felt like. And the, the mayhem and the pomp and circumstance that would go like that. Or another analogy, if, if you can't get enough of this, is what I came up with. It's like some aging vets coming up in a big spot to go for one last title together. I liken this to what it could have been like the 2001 Diamondback scenario. you got an old <laughs> Randy Johnson, an old Kurt yep. Schilling, an old Luis Gonzalez having a career year, and they all reach dig way down to try to get one more big performance out of each of them. And they did, and it hurts because they beat our team. Right, It sucks, but it's still one of the most memorable World Series ever. Right. We'll do that when we have our baseball podcast. But anytime you have that set up and you're relying on these aging vets, you run the risk of, if you're not done with these sports analogies, I got one more for you, you run the risk of turning into the 2004 Lakers where it's like Gary Payton has turned out to be out of gas a little bit and Carl Malone isn't easing nicely into the background as a supporting player as opposed to the lead man. So I was very, very cautious about what we could get with these guys in their veteran states as they were, and Scorsese hasn't really done anything uh, to the Oscars level since Wolf of Wall Street. I know Silence was great, a lot of people liked it, but didn't really rise to that kind of prestige. And Film Twitter, too, did a great job to hype this up for me and my expectations because I saw a lot of, this is the best Scorsese film, film since Goodfellas type type hype. Yeah. And that I will echo again, this goes to what Scott Feinberg did in hyping it up. He had this Scorsese was third in his best acting list of the Feinberg forecast. The Nero was seventh. Pacino was second and Pesci was fourth in supporting actor. Adapted screenplay, this was second. And that's all before we talked about what just happened with the National Board of Review and AFI films and all that. So I was very, very excited, but still the time, man. Three and a half hours plus is a big ask, even for an Oscars Let's movie. Let's just put it this way. The last time the Knicks were in the playoffs was 2013. <laughs> At least this wasn't the 2014 Knicks, correct? Right. right. No, it was not. You could have all those same old guys right. coming back again and really blowing it. Well, I think this is a good place to enter this, too, Mike. We are both fans of this movie. Yeah. We're taking a lot of jokes and taking a lot of pot shots, well, but because but we're taking a piss out of royalty, basically. The crazy thing is, I hate things in this movie, yes. and I love things in same. this movie. And overall, the love is going to overflow. Agree. I still am going to make old people jokes. I still going to make Italian guy jokes because I am (laughs) one and I can. And I still am going to get on Scorsese for talking shit about big VFX movies. And here he is going for the VFX. And and to start off with production values, Mike, the VFX is an unadulterated Uh, failure. uh, It is a failure in this film. 
They're airbrushing old men. We are making old men shiny. Why in the Sam fuck are we making old people shinier? It doesn't look good. I'll thank you to keep my uncle's name out of your mouth. <laughs> That's a weird middle name, though, Mike. Anyway, why are we doing that? So it's inescapable. It really is. It's it, it to, it's a shame, and it really took me out of the movie a couple times, especially in one scene in particular that everybody knows about. Here's now. the hubris of this: they're supposed to look from anywhere from 24 to 84. Yeah, that's in like every all the press releases. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Other than the scene with Robert De Niro in the army, mm-hmm. is there a scene where he looks a day younger than 65? A day it, is there so honestly in, a scene? In, in a still. Right? In a still, in a picture, I would say yes. But the problem, yeah, that's the whole problem with this technology right now. These guys move, and that's why this this scene where De Niro, and you've seen it on Twitter already, where De Niro is beating up this shopkeeper from afar, from like an establishing shot perspective on the sidewalk. It you can't VFX or de-age the way a body moves. And, and he, he looks like this 50-year-old man that's moving like a 75-year-old actor, which is what he is and what he should be looking like. But it enrages me even more because there are other scenes involving physical altercation, specifically with Pacino, in which they clearly use the stunt double. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Why not do that? I don't know if it's hubris or not. Mm. I'm not going to go that far. Maybe I went that far a minute ago. I'm going to walk <laughs> it back. I'm going to walk it back. But here's all I know. Ear size, nose size, yeah. neck and head size, all those proportions as you get older, they they grow, they, they get different than a young man's face. A 40-year-old man, and especially like Brad Pitt, who's 50 and looks 30, right. legitimately 30, he still has all his young person proportions. Right. He doesn't have the big ears yet. You know, he'll he'll take a turn, and De Niro does that. I would eat a steak off his abs. De Niro <laughs> does that when you if you look back at Robert De Niro pictures. Like when he's 50 and he's 60. I mean, when he hits his mid-60s, he gets old man body. It just happens. It happens to us all. I'll probably get old man body 15 years before (laughs) Robert De Niro ever got old man body. I have mine already. But no, (laughs) you're you're making a good point. It it is... It's inescapable is the word I keep coming back to. And again, it just took me out of the movie. And it works both ways because I know you weren't high on the way Dominic Lumberdozy was make-uped up to look older. Um, I thought that looked better than what Pacino and De Niro looked like. Right, but the same problem existed. When he's talking, yeah. his mouth is moving at the rate of a 40-year-old man. Not at the rate of the age he was playing. Because he's one of the guys, Pacino and De Niro True. are aged down. Dominic Lombardozzi is aged up to like a 70-year-old man. And he is not moving his mouth like a 70-year-old man. And it's if this is where we are with these $50 million or $100 million worth of VFX, we're not ready for it yet. We're totally not ready for it yet, and I would agree it is better. But even with the costumes, you know, you're having to overdress De Niro in those scenes mm-hmm. where he's supposed to be younger. And again, he's got the same seven-year-old right. man box frame. It just does not work at all. You mentioned the scene where he's kicking the the guy on the street. It's so bad, and it, I, it it's worse than Dolomite is my name in that kung fu scene. Yeah. And I I laughed hilariously at the Dolomite scene. In this, I was like. I was mad at it the first time I saw it. It's like, this is off. What the fuck? I yelled at the screen. I was mad. It's such a tough tightrope to walk because who the hell are we to criticize Martin Scorsese? But I'm going to. How do you let that? Somebody at some point has got to look at that cut and be like, this can't stay in this movie. So Scorsese was 
very upset with this film. It went over budget, right, mm-hmm. when it first came out. I wonder if this was just one of those scenes where it's like, there's no reshooting it. There's no getting past it. There's nothing else I can do with it. It has to be in the movie because it's, so ter- cut it's, this, it's cut, important to the plot. Cut the scene when the shopkeeper goes through the window. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't have to. We get it. You don't have to. It just looked bad. It really looked horrible. I'm sorry. I, I, I really feel bad. I thought it was atrocious. I agree 100%. But it's throughout the movie. Like, De Niro climbs up rocks when he's mm-hmm. supposed to be in his, like, mm-hmm. mid-40s to the early 50s. Climbs up rocks, and he looks like an 85-year-old man climbing up a rock. Sorry. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. So I agree. It took me out of the movie like 30 or 40 times. I also just want to make the quick point. I watched this with both my parents. My father does not watch movies, but he will watch Goodfellas if it's ever on cable. Oh, good. And it's what he put. So he's a big Scorsese guy. I wonder what the translation is with the VFX technology to people who aren't film nuts like us. Because my mother mentioned, boy, there's something weird that the makeup has done to their face, not knowing that this is all VFX. So it could be that lay people watch this as well and are just like, boy, that's a terrible makeup job. This is totally going to turn into the mom, mom, dad, dad, and Oscar (laughs) podcast because I I did uh, over Thanksgiving. My dad and I, we sat down and watched some of it. Yeah, yeah, and he totally said, oh, wow, that does look terrible because I was telling him. Right. And and yeah, he did see it too. And then, and your your mom was like, "There's something off here." Oh, she said it like five times too. Right. Like it just it looks really bad. Like, it, well. And it's on a right. TV, exactly. So it's on a smaller right. TV. Right, right. All right. So we have all the do's and don'ts of what to do with my hair over the next fifty years. <laughs> I learned that much with the makeup and hairstyling to try and move on from the VFX here. Uh, Bobby Cannavale. I mean. Don't do that, also, Mike. Don't do that with your hair. I mean, the opium Italian face underneath <laughs> that, too. Like, he's got to stop trying to go over the top with his old man characters. Like, when he's young, I mean, he's a great actor. I love Bobby Cannavale. When he's trying to do the old man thing, he's just, uh, a little bit. Uh. He's trying to do a De Niro. I don't know what he's doing. It's ridiculous. There was some, some dialogue in that scene he was in, huh? That scene, too. That first scene I like because they're kind of playing around. I mean, right. it's like charming Italian speaking in code. We'll, we'll introduce our spoiler section with a little, little reenactment going back to our Tarantino rewatch days. But yeah. I, he's a caricature of a gangster here. And that happens with the Lombardazzi character. That happens with the uh, Cannavale characters. Again, Mike, these are failures in production values. And I'm sh- I love this movie despite them. I will give more lenience if that turns out to be Al Pacino's actual hair. That he's <laughs> slicking back throughout the... Because there it. is a huge mop of hair on that head. He if could, that's not a wig, God bless him. He could still quaff it yeah. and trim it on the sides. <laughs> I, I would bet. If I if I had to bet money, I would bet. Uh, let's let's talk cinematography. Yeah. Let's get into the positive here. Because, I mean, you have that POV steady cam walking through the old folks' home. It mimics the Goodfellas restaurant introduction. Yeah, and right away, you're like... Uh, it's like feeling meeting an old friend that you haven't seen in a year. You right. that beautiful music in the still of the night right. that we're going to gush over like crazy. I mean, that scene right there just endears me to this mm-hmm. movie. Agree. And I could hate other things, but I will love it for the levels of irony <laughs> in the fact that he gives us, you know, the, the quick left turns yep. in the old folks' home the same way he wrapped us around the bend at Goodfellas. I mean, it really makes it feel like old fellas. I mean, I know that's a joke, but it's it's true. It is a parallel piece in, in many ways. So I have issues with how the film was presented overall, the backdrop against which it was given, and I'll get into that when we talk about spoilers. But I, you know, right away, there's some trademarks that you're going to have with every Scorsese movie, and he kind of 
it was like a homecoming. This is right. basically what this movie was, essentially. It was like one more round, one more homecoming, how you been doing, buddy, type thing. And that was, he starts off the movie in that way, and there's some other signature shots that if you, a hundred years from now, people are going to be able to watch and be like, oh, this is a Martin Scorsese movie. And it probably feels like a homecoming because he keeps working with the same yep. people. I Good mean, he, he worked with cinematographer Rodrigo Prieto uh, on this one after doing it with Silence and The Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, you move behind poles and you move the camera behind chairs and things he's been doing that since the beginning you may it makes you feel like a voyeur yeah voyeuristic is a really good way to describe it there are constant camera movements in every scene it's very very rare that there is a shot that doesn't start moving on mm-hmm. you and I'm, I'm able to whenever i'm thinking about the cinematography whenever i you know i watch it four times right I, I, keep, I kept noticing that. I mean, yeah, he'll have a still shot. It's usually a quick one. But if he lingers at all, something's going to move. And I loved all the panning and the tracking and the zooming. And I don't know all the terminology. It's just gorgeous to watch. And it gives something with a relative sedimentary feel so much momentum. And only Scorsese can, can do it like this. Yeah, this is, like I said, it's a very hallmarky type, like a best of Scorsese movie all wrapped up in the one single piece here. And it's... It feels very Scorsese-esque, and so anything that does feel Scorsese-esque is going to be an extremely tightly polished, technical piece of filmmaking. And we love Tarantino for his montage, yes. right? I mean, sometimes he gets the montage is so right, mm-hmm. makes us so happy. The editing from Thelma Schoonmaker in this. Yeah. She's got three Oscars for a reason, Yeah, Mike, she does. Because she's Martin Scorsese's editor I, throughout his career, and this in my opinion, is a masterwork of hers because to make a movie this addictive with such flaws and yet to make it move... I watched this movie three times. I know you you probably maybe don't agree with me or it hasn't worked (laughs) on you. You haven't been entranced by this movie yet. No, yeah. I've sat down three times without moving or getting up to watch this movie. And I, I there's two other times where I cut it in half or I had to do something the time me and my dad watched it. I, we were kind of bouncing around. But there are three times where it was just me and this movie and I was just in uh, mesmerized. Yeah, I'm not going to say it feels like a quick three and a half hours. <laughs> uh, I will say it feels like a very bearable length of time for the type of film. And I think that's a credit to the editing as much as anything else. It's just so much montage. And you have one... You know, cool song after another to get to get right. into uh, the soundtrack here. I mean, in the still of the night is just hypnotic at one point. I it, he he uses the Rolling Stones at some point. I think towards the end, uh, I hear you knocking by Smiley Lewis. That montage of De Niro delivering steak. <laughs> one of my favorite moments in cinema this year, maybe of the last five years. That is so much fun. And again, it's despite the fact that De Niro looks like sixty-eight. And he's supposed to look 28 there. And everybody's calling him kid. It's ridiculous. But the music reminds me of my grandparents. It right. reminds me of Scorsese's entire filmography. It reminds me of being in a college dorm room and watching Goodfellas you know, on loop throughout the day with my, my roommates and, or The Departed or something. I mean, just hitting play again and again. And that we're, we're, stud- we're half studying, we're half watching the movie, just kind of hanging out. Isn't it funny how you can feel nostalgic about a time you weren't even alive for? When, yeah. when in the still of the night was playing on the radio and because like, our grandparents were grandpa- exactly. Yeah. I'm with you as far as a great soundtrack and and memorable music that was highlighted and I think it was used masterfully and done a wonderful job sending us back in time. My only complaint about anything music related, I was a little bewildered at the lack of variety in music used because Scorsese is usually known for having either classic or contemporary top forty music, usually classic rock. A variety of such worked into his m- movies. I didn't think that was 
present in this one. So he I, relied heavily on it yeah. still the night. I think the three POVs in this movie are three old white dudes of the same generation, of the same ilk. Right. So how much are you really changing how you want people to feel through your characters? Like in it's other movies, point. he'll have Michelle Pfeiffer and Pesci, mm-hmm. and he'll have different characters. He'll have Leo and Damon and all these different characters in, in The Departed. I think he, he bounces around uh, to different ends of the spectrum in terms of human beings mm. in more of his movies. This movie is about... Old Italian guys <laughs> without the eye, just yeah. Italian, <laughs> as they're so lovingly called to one another. Yes, I think that's a fair point. That makes a lot of sense. Let's move into the performances of this. A lot of people obviously are talking about Robert De Niro making another Oscars run. So, rewatching this, did he does he win you over any more? And, and I talked to you kind of when you were halfway through mm-hmm. because I said I, I figured there was some really good scenes at the end of the film. Uh, how did your perception change of De Niro? It didn't much. He's very good. Mm-hmm. I think people that are considering this amongst one of the top five performances of the year, mm-hmm. I can't get behind. He's in almost every scene of this movie, many of them, if not every single one. And I think, pound for pound, there's nothing he did here that he didn't do exponentially better right. in something like Silver Linings Playbook, the last time he was nominated for an Academy Award. I will say there is a quantity to this performance, obviously. He's in a lot of the movie, and he's doing a lot of different things that are mostly strong. right? And his character is very fleshed out, which it better be for after 210 minutes. Correct. So (laughs) I I like what he's doing for most of the movie. Does he play a 50-year-old man convincingly? No. Does he play? Obviously, we went all over all of that. So those are major knocks on this performance, they should have had a younger actor play him. I mean, look, I Googled younger actors that look like De Niro. <laughs> I Googled this. Mm-hmm. And I got Dylan McDermott. No. Dermot Mulroney. That's the same guy. And I forget who else. But <laughs> I know I got those two. Like, you could have found somebody to play a younger De Niro here, especially if he needed to go that much younger and make it still work. There's enough old De Niro in this movie to just have De Niro be De Niro as old De Niro. I also think it's very curious that he's playing a very emotionally reserved leading man, and people are raving about his performance when we've had people in other Oscar-nominated movies in recent years that are much younger, that clearly are not on the same level or lineage that De Niro has, playing emotionally reserved leading men in these Oscar-nominated movies that did not make it to Oscar nomination. I'm talking specifically, we talked a lot about Ryan Gosling in First Man, but also Ansel Elgort and Baby Driver, Camille Nanjiani for the most part in The Big Sick, even Matthew Reese this year in the Mr. Rogers film. These guys are all playing emotionally reserved leading men in their movies, and yet they don't get the prestige and the adulation that De Niro is getting. I know it's Robert De Niro, but I'm kind of making that point that I feel like this is, it is a narrative-driven year because there mm-hmm. are so many wide-open ca- categories, and he does obviously have a narrative. He is Robert De Niro, after all. Yeah. But I'm, it, it's a tough sell for me that the love he's getting is more merit-driven than it is legacy-driven with him. To be fair, at least in my opinion, let's say, I would rank him higher than everybody you mentioned. Uh, higher I, than Gosling? Uh, higher than Gosling. I, okay. I, I would. That's just my opinion. Uh, I think and, I would everyone but Gosling, but yeah, that's to fine. To me, this year, he's going to be in my top ten I don't think he's going to crack my top five, and that's the question for everybody. I mean, there's a murderer's row right. of great 
actors in that ca- in that category this year. So it's really hard to pick. I mean, does the legacy factor push him over the top? Get him in there. It very well could. The legacy factor too. This is a fact I brought up on Twitter. There might be narrative fatigue set in this year with the comeback story and the comeback narrative because you could have Eddie Murphy, yeah. Robert De Niro, Robert Downey Jr., Adam Sandler, all these guys in the acting categories that could all be attached to the boy. Hollywood loves a comeback, don't they? They're not going to love everybody's comeback <laughs> all at once. And Zellweger on the other side of yeah. things. No, they're not going to do that. Like, one person has the comeback narrative, <laughs> and then everybody else, you just were shitty for a while. Right? Wow, all right. <laughs> or you were rich and healthy and happy and living a marvelous life. That we'll I go can't with even that. imagine, you know, over there with in Moneyland, right. wherever you were. Right. <laughs> what all about right. Pesci, Mike? He was in Moneyland for yes, years, he was. correct? I mean, he, he has some great scenes in that last yeah. hour, too. I think there's more versatility with this performance than I was I was noticing at first. I agree. I, there, the subtext here is amazing, and the fact that it's such a different performance for Joe Pesci than what he's done otherwise in his career, especially what he's done for Martin Scorsese movies. And it fits him like a glove too. Uh, this this reserved Don Cock of the Walk, the guy that the Kingmaker. It's just dripping with subtext when yeah. he says. Some people. Not me. Some people. <laughs> right. You know he means me. Of course. And you know he means, well, I listen, with all due respect, <laughs> and you know he means ten different things. And you know when he has a sneer, don't call him. Mm. You, you know what that means mm-hmm. to Robert De Niro. And you know how many th- different things he's saying with just those three words. Joe Pesci in this performance would have been nominated for the last five years. I think Probably. De Niro would have been nominated in the last two years at least since we've been covering it. And I would be surprised if he doesn't get nominated now. I, I think Pesci is amazing, especially, not only with the subtext, but especially when he's playing the elder version of his character at the very end of the movie. I think he's outstanding. I mean, his Baby Yoda impression is as good as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it took a while for you to get there. I was, yeah, it took a minute for me to, for me to get there, but I got there. Uh, to bring it's back really the, not a baby Yoda impression, it's just a Yoda impression. Right. But it's, it's great. To bring back the baseball uh, analogy, uh, he was throwing 98 on the black of the plate here in like the 7th and 8th inning of Game 6 or 7 of the World Series. That's a good grape juice, Mike. <laughs> he was great. He I, was great. I loved him in this. And I, I just watched like the making of Home Alone. Like oh, the, yeah, the yeah, the day. movies who love, made us type thing uh, on Netflix. Netflix yeah. And I'm watching him doing the big cartoonish Looney Tunes right. stuff in Home Alone, and it's a totally different actor. I called it. <laughs> Al Pacino is doing Al Pacino things again, and that's the most fun thing about this movie, I would say, is Al Pacino just going off, slamming desks, screaming at groups of people, calling calling them mother effers. I mean, the things he's doing in this movie are, are just vintage Al Pacino. I love him. I yeah. absolutely love him. I would be very surprised if both men don't make the final field. That's where I think the legacy narrative comes in because I think these performances are the ones that carry the movie for the most part yeah. and keep you intrigued enough as what they're going to do or say next. And they're really the two also that are not really, but they are literally the two that are having the power struggle throughout the climax of this movie. And De-, De Niro is very much the middleman between them. So you're absolutely right. He's slamming desk. He's yelling. Literally a hoo short of Scent of a Woman Al Pacino here. He's, but I think it was great. He plays stubborn old man better than I've ever seen anybody yeah. play stubborn old man. <laughs> and he's doing it with this, you know, 
this humongous power mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the historical nature and of the character. What and, a dick he is, too. And yeah. then just how he says, organizer, or whatever, <laughs> however he says it. Or, I, I loved it. I, I mean, I know it's just over the top and ridiculous, right. but it's great. And it just gives something different to this character. We got to talk about the ensemble, too, mm-hmm. right? In a pack when just floors me. I mean, if anybody ever looked at me like that, I don't know if I could go in public again. I loved what she did, but boy, do I have issues with that Peggy character, and they have nothing to do with the ridiculous, she only has so many lines of dialogue narrative that some critics are trying to force down people's throats. I'll probably talk about it more in spoilers, but I I agree with what she was given. I thought she was phenomenal. I thought Ray Romano was perfectly cast as the lawyer. He's funny. I mean, he's good in slow-mo. I didn't think that of Ray Romano. I didn't think he'd be Da-bra. good. In, <laughs> I didn't think he'd be good in slow mo, but he was really good in slow mo. <laughs> you think there's an art to slow mo acting? I do. Yeah. All right. I think you got to be really nuanced to, to <laughs> come off well in that kind of slow mo, and I, I'm impressed. Uh, look, Stephen Graham playing Tony Pro. He was great. He was a revelation to me because I've seen him as Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire. I watched that whole thing. And he goes off the handle and he's very good in that, but he's very over the top. He is very, what's his name? Tom Hardy. He's very Tom Hardy as Al Capone. Now, here, like, it's much more subtle. Like, he's got that hint of being so angry I could cry Mm -hmm. at times. And that's just the brilliant way to play this gangster talking to another powerful man in prison. Are you kidding me? That's the most interesting choice I've seen in a while in a gangster movie, and that's Stephen Grant. And what a perfect nickname, too, the little guy for the character that suffers yeah. the biggest Napoleon complex of the entire movie. I thought that fit very perfectly. And I'm with you. It's funny you keep bringing up Dolomite because, to me, this is on par with Wesley Snipes. I don't understand why people aren't talking about it more. I guess I understand from the standpoint of right. you already have two guys that are probably going to finish in the top five, if not definitely the top ten, in Pesci and, and Pacino anyway, so it's going to be tough to get a third supporter no, in there. Happened. Right, so I get that, but nonetheless, I think he should be talked about and raved about more. And it, it's still an over-the-top performance, yes, but it the is. way he plays it is a lot of fun. And then he's It needs to be over-the-top for that yeah. character. And yeah. then he's charming like the rest of the mm-hmm. time. And he's making jokes with the FBI guys, mm. and he's charming. He's getting kissed at the uh, campaign parties, fundraisers there. He's brilliant. Mobsters were schmoozers, right? They all play it very well in this. I believe it. I totally believe it. Shout out to Ellen Lewis, the casting director. Yes. She did a marvelous job, and what a marvelously humongous job she had to do, Mike. How would you like to be the casting director for a Martin Scorsese movie? <laughs> I mean, I guess... Hey, you want to do... Yes! Yeah, I mean, I guess it'd be a little easier in terms of... I mean, all right, obviously you take it. Right, but that's it, not it, to take anything away from her job. And you her have job. your pick of the litter, right. I, I guess I'm trying to say. A lot of people want to be in it, but... You have to decide between the A-list of the A-list. Then he right? gives you, like, ten movies worth of jobs to do. Right. Right. You have the quantity of work. Spectacular job by her. You're absolutely right. I just have one script thought for non-spoilers, Mike. I mean, this movie would have been half the length of time if it wasn't so goddamn repetitive. Like, every <laughs> line of dialogue. <laughs> and and he sh- and he shoved her? He shoved her? You gotta repeat everything, Robert De Niro's character? And, and then they're like, what time you gotta be here tomorrow? 10 o'clock. What time you gotta be here tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> 10 o'clock. I mean, every single scene, every other scene, let's say. They're a little, I mean, the exposition dumps, they're a little more efficient, but they are just repetitive the rest of the goddamn movie. I think it's worse than that, too, because the last 30 minutes of this movie, 
to me make parasites and look like Van Gogh's Cafe Terrace at night painting. <laughs> and as an aside, you're welcome for being the first movie podcast to talk about the Irishman referencing both the 2001 Diamondbacks and a Vincent Van Gogh painting. But there, I know there are people that love the, the way this movie ends. Okay. I know they're out there and they're defenders. They're wrong. <laughs> It's 10 minutes too long. It's been, And the ending he decides to go with has been done to death in the years it's since not, Martin Scorsese's been innovating that type of it's trope. It's not the book's ending. It's his... Well, it's it's more than that, too. Just cinematically, he kind of created that, that real-life look at this is what happens at the end of the line for this character. Right. And because he created it, it's been beaten to death by every filmmaker making a pseudo biopic in the last 20 years so now it's just we know we know what happens at the end of of these guys life it's a terrible lag in a movie that has a few terrible lags in it. yeah and i think we're going to get into that in spoilers but overall let's wrap up the oscar lens yeah. real quick before we move into the plot I say picture has to be. I just I think it's a top yeah, ten. Well, especially now after the NBP and AFI and all that. I think Scorsese directed the shit out of this too. I think he's got to be in there top five. I and mean, it's just like undeniably good. Like what I'm with doing. you. He's gonna be there. The comp- He's gonna be there. Yeah. Adapted screenplay. I mean, for what they get right, and I would say there's I have less script problems than I have maybe execution problems. Adapted screenplay. They're happening. There's 31. Gold Derby experts with their top five and adopted screenplay right now. The Irishman is in the top three of all but one of them and is in the number one spot at 22 out of 31 of them. It's not the strongest category in, in the mix. No, so it's not. But it, it's, yeah, it's, it's happening. That's why it's going. this is going to be there. Those are three definites. I'm in favor of Rodrigo Prietro for cinematography. I think that's happening as well. I think it happens, but I could be talked out of it. I'm in favor in a big way for Thelma Schoonmaker for editing. Oscar's puzzle theory alone, if you're going to nominate this for picture, director, all that most acting. Montage, right? Well, there's the that movie. too, yeah. It, it certainly deserves it on merit, but uh, merit aside, I'm saying it's going to be there because it's going to be in all these other categories. I did montage heavy, like 20 minute short films or 40 minute mm-hmm. films, and it took me years. Right. And people do music video and it takes them weeks or months. Mm-hmm. And if it's heavy on the montage. I mean, he did a three and a half hour film and half of it is like montage. Right. It's so much work. It is. And they pulled it off. And the montages play better than anything. So the editing to me is just masterclass level. Agree. I, I think it's there. I didn't mean to under- say that I didn't think it's there on merit because I do. Production design. I think we didn't even talk about that yet, but that's pretty spectacular, too. I mean, what doesn't look authentic? It looks great. It really does all the way around, and it's a really immersive, for three and a half hours especially, to keep your attention, as much as you are pulled out of the movie by some aspects of the VFX, it's it pulls you right back in, because and the production design is an aid to that, because it gets you into that time period. Everybody's saying VFX. I think they're wrong. I just think they're 100% wrong, because I think it's a failure of in the movie. It's an absolute failure. I want to spit. I'm so angry. I think it has to be nominated for VFX. No, fuck that. I if think it, it has fa- to be. If it's terrible and it doesn't work. Yeah, I get it. Screw it. I, I, I mean, look, you can advance the technology and that's your win at the end of the day. But just on audacity alone. No, I don't vote it. on audacity. I vote. I Give me Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame and, over this. And I'm just going to keep going through. And based on Netflix's money behind it, I think it has. I don't think... Makeup and hairstyling, I don't think costume design. I think VFX has to be nominated. I think it will be nominated. I think 
everybody is wrong. I think you're wrong. If that's, we're arguing yeah, about that's, this. that's fine. Because I, I think it. it's terrible. And I don't think, t- just because of the size and scope of it, it should be nominated. I think the VFX shortlist just came out. I think I have almost every single one of them above the Irishman. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't care. I can't hold it against you. I get it. Makeup and hairstyling, another failure to me. Uh, and this is going to get nominated. Doesn't the VFX disqualify this from makeup and hairstyling? I don't know where the, the two rivers. I would think if a, you're going, yeah, if you're going yeah. to have a thing that takes your main players' faces, de-aging them, where does the makeup come into play? That being said, you're having makeup around those little dots, you know, those little motion sensors. You having makeup, so that picks up. I well, don't you, know how, how the, the technology lumbar, works. The lumbar Dazi characters, that's just makeup, right? right that is makeup. Uh, uh, the, there's a lot of females in this that aren't de-aged. Uh, their People makeup need as to well, get their but... eyes fixed because that looks fake as shit. I can see the lines. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I I'm got not a good in TV. this for makeup. And I'm, I, I'm I think you. it's terrible. I, I think I think those two were just downright failures to me. VFX and makeup, costume. They did their their best, even though you got some goofy moments in the costuming because you're overdressing. A lot of oversized suits. Yeah, it looks like caricatures of gangsters at times. And Sometimes, that's, and you and I have seen a million gangster yep. movies. We are gangster movie connoisseurs, and Scorsese is at a you know a reason for that. Yeah. I'm, I echo, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head for me. I don't think costume is not anything I was blown away by. I, they're wearing suits. You know, I, when you're apples to apples with something like Dolomite, mm-hmm. there's no comparison. All right, so is it getting two acting noms or is it getting three acting noms? So that's the big question. Even though Anna Paquin, someone that climbed up my list upon rewatch, I, I don't think she's going to crack in the top five there, or even maybe my top ten. But those three actors, the two supportings, are they going to get two supportings or are they going to get De Niro? Yeah, I have it down for two supporting and no De Niro. That's okay. where I'm landing on I have eight nom- eight noms for this overall right now. Picture, director, screenplay. The two supporting, editing, VFX, and cinematography. I could be talked out of cinematography, probably most easiest. But that's where I'm landing on it right now. I have eight for this one. I know you have a little more than that. So I have ten. I, I, th- I think nominations are going to happen that I'm going to be upset with mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Clayton Davis has eight noms so far. Matt Neglia at Next Best Picture has 11. Davis, of course, from Award Circuit. Scott Feinberg of the 15 forecasted categories. He already has Irishman getting nominated seven times. Wow. That was on this morning's Feinberg forecast. Go look at that. That, that was a, the highlight of my morning, getting a chance to look at that. So... We gotta watch this movie. If you're if you're an Oscar fan, we gotta watch it a hundred times because we're addicted to it. Mike, we gotta watch this movie, correct? Well, here's where I'm gonna come in on this and answer the question that I, I kind of teased earlier about the the rewatchability and is is this necessary for Netflix? Does this make Netflix an ex, an absolute must buy? Does it make Netflix an absolute must buy? I can see the argument either way for that, but regardless, we may not be getting another one of these ever again. If this one doesn't do very well at the Oscars and it doesn't bring in new subscribers, Netflix is probably not going to open up the checkbook to the tune of $200 million, even for the greatest directors to do whatever they want. What if David Fincher's mank is four hours? <laughs> I mean, that's, look, that's the only one we, I've heard of at this point. Well, that's, and that's, that kind You're of right. serves You're the right. point that I'm making here, right? There's not a lot of big Netflix productions in the pipeline, especially not to the caliber of this one that we knew about for years coming on in. So... You need to watch it because it may be the only thing of its kind we're ever going to get. I think they knew that the streaming wars were coming now. Mm-hmm. And they knew they had to have a strong, you know, slate now to, to stay relevant. If they had a, if they had weak sauce on their thing, people were going to just jump ship. And I think it kept it totally necessary 
to keep your subscription to Netflix now. Because where else can you watch The Irishman and Marriage Story if you're not living in a bigger city? Right. I mean, they only came to a few spots in Connecticut. If you're not getting, uh, you know, screeners, you're you're not seeing these movies. And you'll never see these movies because they're only coming to the surface. Right. And, and and to echo that and maybe hammer that home, it's a massive budget, massive starring political tr- crime drama focusing on one of the country's greatest mysteries helmed by arguably the greatest living director going. It's something you need to see. So yeah, I'm a watch. I guess we could uh, get into spoilers. Finally. <laughs> spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. You like steak? I do. I deliver steak. Good steak. Do ya? I could deliver you steak. Could you? Yes, I could. <laughs> and here's your Oscar, Steven Zalian. But that's like a charming scene, right? We're terrible at that scene. We we Speak for yourself. It. All right. That scene is charming, right? I mean, when I watch that scene, I'm like, I can't believe this is happening <laughs> on a $200 million movie. Yeah, well, there's a couple of those in this that are memorable for better or worse. This is the spoiler section to the Oscar Sprint Profile, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar of, of course, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. If you've not seen the movie already, hit pause. You've basically you've already seen it because we just reenacted one of the pivotal scenes. Correct. But if you want to see it anyway, because you're going to be like that, hit pause. Go watch it. We'll be here waiting for you to come back. Uh, if you've seen it already, you want to hear our thoughts or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much this is where you want to be all spoilers all the time mike mike and oscars oscar sprint profile of martin scorsese's the irishman so we have that scene like we said and touched on already there's a lot of memorable scenes for better or for worse for good and for bad from this let's talk about some major plot lines those scenes were representing okay this is where i want to bring in the the reading of the book i think this is smart because you did like we said at the setup you did read the book you listened to it and you said this does differ wildly from what scorsese decided to hone in on the end of the movie should have been the writer getting Sharon to tell a story. Like, this is... Like, when you end The Irishman, mm-hmm. you think that he takes it all to his grave, unless you count the fact that he's talking to you at the beginning of the movie. Who the hell is Robert De Niro recounting this story to? Well, in the, the reality of Earth... He's doing it to the writer, Charles Brandt. I mean, that guy, you know, landed the writing assignment of, the, of a lifetime. Right. And that's what happened in the book, obviously. I mean, the, the first chapter of the book, he's talking about landing this assignment and getting Frank Sheeran to talk. And in the last chapter, chapter, like I said, he's kind of talking about, should we believe this man? And those are really two cool bookends for this. And that would have been an awesome beginning and ending to this movie. But it totally changes the perspective of what's happening here because this man gets the chance to tell his story. He's not just alone in a room forever having taken it to his grave. Well, that's my question about this. The backdrop of this entire film is presented as an interview, I guess, except we don't see the interviewer. I don't know who De Niro is supposed to be talking to here because then that whole shtick ends and he's talking to his nurse about who Jimmy Hoff yeah. is. And he's talking to the FBI and four agents about who uh, taking this to his grave. I, I hated the way this thing was backdropped. If he didn't if he didn't bottle up to the priest, if he didn't bottle up, you know, to the FBI guys, I would have came away saying, All right, metaphorically right. he's telling the story just like he did in real life. 
and he's telling the story to us, sure. the audience, just like he did in real life. But then, you know, it's almost like Scorsese, and he did this with Wolf of Wall Street, and it bothered me. Like, he shows them having a lot of fun throughout the movie. And Goodfellas, it bothers me a little bit. And then you have to... Goodfellas did it the best out of Goodfellas, all Goodfellas three. was spectacular. That's what I was expecting at the end. I was expecting him back but on the stand. The whole comeuppance stuff. Like, you gotta show the comeuppance. You gotta end these movies sad. Because if you end them happy, it just validates everything. You have you Joker? You're like, yeah. it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be like, it's worth it. All that, that You just made the argument against Joker being awards-worthy. You did. I think <laughs> the Joker has some shades of gray. Okay. Different I think there's shades of blood red, but all right. <laughs> I do think Scorsese and Zalian do a wonderful job with the book's plotline. There's just like a little aside in here, and Scorsese makes it a, a full ten minutes in the movie. And then there's like other stuff that takes forever to get through in the book that Scorsese is just completely fast-tracking, and, and, and him and Zalian are just making it so cinematic. I loved the adaptation. I think it's the best adapted screenplay of the year so far for me that I've read or seen. I've read Caging Skies for Jojo Rabbit. I just finished Little Women on the car ride up this morning. You. And it's there, there's not enough conflict in Little Women. I'm sorry. So sorry. By not enough, you mean none? Zero? None. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that's a good way to preface the spoiler section, too, in that I think we're going to start talking about worse, and we've kind of been hammering the worst for this, but the underlying fact of all of this is Mike and I both have good grades for this. We both think it's worthy of a Best Picture nominee on, of the year, and that's where we stand on this. So we like this. The reason we don't like being negative at all, but there are some things that just kind of boggle our mind about the way this was presented. I think a lot of the issues... Obviously, since you just went on this kind of speech about how it does stay true to the source material, to me, that means a lot of the issues lay at the lack of filter, maybe studio intervention, that Netflix afforded Martin Scorsese's vision. Yeah, the movie's indulgent. It's a bit bloated. If you guys think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is indulgent. <laughs> this is too. This is Martin Scorsese going back for Thanksgiving seconds before anyone else had theirs. I do think this movie should have been shorter. Simple. Simply, you could get yeah. a lot of stuff. Now, I think there are moments in almost every scene and sequence that are just wonderful. I'm with you. I I'm with you. The problem is, I wish he took like the scenes that had maybe one moment in them that I really loved. And shown the moment. Show the moment quickly in a montage, or taking that moment and put that moment in another scene, right. just like every other director has to do exactly ever in a production. And why do directors do that? Because there is studio. There's people there tightening everything up. It drives me insane. I already mentioned my worst scenes, but like they could have had other actors play younger character versions of the character. Mike Joe Pesci does not look a day younger than sixty eight. This that, entire film is that part of the reason we're so high in his performance. Because he's, he's not really to be right. The older he's character. not. He's doing a lot of subtextual stuff. We we highlighted it. We talked about it all in non spoiler But he's not pounding tables and giving huge monologues, and he's the, just being within himself. But the problem is, like, he's supposed to be like forty five, and De Niro's supposed to be twenty five in that 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 I mean, scene where they're fixing absurd. the car. You know that, that scene when they're fixing the car. Yeah. De Niro's character, Frank Sheeran's just out of the war, right? I mean, he's maybe 30. Right, and he looks 50 already. He looks 65, right, in my he, opinion. He, I don't right. think he looks young at all. I was being nice. You're yeah, being you're nice. Right. You're very kind. Yeah. You're also blind. <laughs> so, 
also true. <laughs> <laughs> and Pesci looks like he's a 70-year-old guy who's airbrushed. And he's he, in that idea, that father figure mentality is tried to hammer throughout and just doesn't work. These are unforgivable yeah. in every other movie, correct? So, I mean, yeah. in terms of worst scenes, I kind of let the cats out of the bag for most of my worst scenes already. The ending drags, and there's unforgivably bad production values. Yeah. Uh, I, I am with you. We talked about the unforgivably bad VFX, especially when talking about production value. I think the ending is very atypical for Scorsese as well, because for a man who has gone above and beyond to insert religious subtext and religious iconicism in pretty much every death scene he's yeah. ever shot on film, to be in this movie after three hours of this despicable human being and we have a priest with the collar in asking this guy, do you regret it? I mean, that's so heavy-handed and so on the nose for what this was. I, it was. It goes to the whole idea that I think the ending of the the ending of this should have been at the funeral or before then. I think. I don't. I, I think you could have done all those scenes much faster, you. and you could have just showed a montage of how his life turned to shit, or you could quote the injustice of it all yeah. and say that he had a really good gold, you know, golden years, despite all the stuff that he was up to, which it seemed like was the reality after he gets out of prison. I mean, he doesn't have it all that bad. I mean, yeah, he's got his, doesn't have his health. Yeah, I, I I am so with you, and I don't want to make it sound like I just think the ending was superfluous because I absolutely love the Tony Gallo hit assassination whatever you want to call it but it doesn't serve any purpose in the plot well there are like three really good episodes in this television <laughs> series in this what should have been a mini, mini series yeah and there's one really shitty episode or there's a half of the first episode that's shitty and then there's a the back half of the last episode that's shitty I mean there's three really good right. episodes of television here right I think and this is a miniseries. I, I think, I, yeah, uh, it look, makes more sense. It makes absolutely. more sense as one. However, it, there's something to be said, and there's something to be said to binge watching television or mm -hmm. serialized television. Mm -hmm. The immersion factor. Yes, like when there you is. Do get immersed in this. It's it's probably it's harder, in my opinion, to watch it the way you've been watching it than the way I've been watching. Probably it. true. I mean, like, you're probably when right. When you get the momentum of just right. being, if you, if you, you can. power through. And power through, like, it, it really is something. It's, there's a lot of momentum carrying you through, and that's a testament to these storytellers. But and there we, is more that could have been, there's fat that could have been trimmed in all areas of this movie was my overall point. I right. think you would agree with that. I would. The only other last thing I had for low lights or worse or whatever I, I alluded to it is about the Peggy character. Look, mm -hmm. I get Peggy's purpose throughout this movie. I get she's hyper aware of right and wrong and recognizes her father as a bad person. I get she understands Russ is a bad person. She sees Jimmy as helping people. So she takes a liking to him, even though what she doesn't see behind the scenes would reveal him to be just as repulsive. And I get there's a whole conversation that can be had there between which is worse to be outwardly and honestly despicable like Russ or to be deceitfully awful like Offa. I couldn't help feeling like she was a forced tether throughout every scene she's in because to me it was less of a look what this man is doing to his daughter and how she knows between her and her father in Robert De Niro's character and it was more of a hey you viewer don't forget this guy has a family that's pretty messed up huh? And never mind the fact that she's always popping up conveniently throughout this plot staring just staring silently judging her father at times when it, there was no reason for her to be. She so, just happens to wake up to stare at her father leaving the house in the middle of the night to go on another hit. Yeah. I appreciated what Anna Paquin was doing. I mm -hmm. truly did. Mm -hmm. The character to me felt like a plot device that was forced in. 
I think what this movie was missing there is scenes where you understand how much Frank Sheeran loves his daughter Peggy. And that's fair. The Sopranos. Yeah. You know, for all their faults, you see how Tony loves his kids. You see it time and again. You see how his kids drive him crazy and his wife dri- drives yeah. him crazy. Uh, you're making a great but point. You see all the nuances of it. You see you see the home life fully flushed out. And for a three and a half hour movie to be missing something is kind of unforgettable. I mean, he's a bad father in this movie. Right. In this movie and in the book it's a little different even though he's kind of cold in the book as well. But in the, you know, in the real reality for that to have meant something between him and Peggy that estrangement at the end, you would have had to have shown them a close at some point, and they never did. But isn't it a little unforgivable that we're missing things in a 210-plus-minute movie? I got a lot of forgetful old people jokes that I'm not going to say right now. All right. I'm just going to make fun of myself for having those impure thoughts. I'm sorry, Martin, but you shouldn't have said those things about Avengers Endgame. You knew we were going to come back with some fire today, but look, there's so many things so many goods. to love. So many goods. And the repeated goods delivered, Mike, number one is food. You have steak. I'm just going to lay out for 20 minutes. Delicious-looking steak. I mean, just mouthful, still talking, Bobby Cannavale kind of Multiple steak. scenes of steak, too. The watermelon, the lip-smacking watermelon it scene. It looked delicious. I wanted that. I wanted to reach over on the table and have the watermelon. And it was genius, too, the way they used it. Mike, I've been on a diet. <laughs> I've never wanted ice cream and, lo- and chili dogs more in my life. I mean, the way they showed us, they, there was a food porn within the movie. They're showing us making the hot dogs and then putting the chili on the hot dogs and then, you know, putting the beer on the hot dogs and then eating the hot dogs. They, they gave us a whole Guy Fieri episode of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives in The Irishman. That was where the time actually paid off. <laughs> that was, uh, well, at least, at least he, he fit it for you, you know? In the books, I, the one problem I have about the, the food goods delivered, mm-hmm. in the books they describe, like, in detail, the prosciutto-stuffed bread, the meat breads, and the wine, and how they dipped the meat breads in the wine, mm-hmm. and why it tasted so good, why it complemented one another. They didn't show it in the movie. You can't tell that those are breads stuffed with meat. <laughs> you can't tell that. They really should have zoomed no, you in. You certainly can't, Mike. <laughs> The lack of a close-up there is, again, one of the most hateable and unforgivable things about this movie in a movie that is just so wondrous otherwise. You did get a lot of food goods, though. For, for a man that lives and dies on food goods, you got your fair share in this movie. A lot. <laughs> All right. You got a historical touchstones, and that's a goosebump factor for me in a lot of things. Love I'm a the history way buff. It. I mean, you got all that Kennedy stuff. And The Irishman is, is definitely a uh, double entendre talking about the Kennedys. Yes. Clearly, and that was handled, uh, the JFK assassination especially, in the ice cream parlor, where everything just comes to a standstill, and all these characters who cannot stop talking the entire movie, right. everything goes silent. And he lingers on that, and it's a really nice and poignant scene. I truly love that. The audacity of Hoffa raising the flag back up in a oh, follow-up scene. My Hateable. God. And that's when you knew the guy was beyond reproach, too. Yeah. He was beyond saving. His... He, he did care about his Teamsters insofar as how much they could help him get to his personal goals. Because it was always going to be about Hoffa, and that obviously is hammered home later on when he's saying right. nobody threatens Hoffa and all those third-person remarks. Is John Houston the best RFK we've ever seen? No. 
I've seen better RFKs and other movies like 13 Days, Michael, but, I mean, it means something to have that presence in this one. And yeah, then... it does. And I thought it was a fine enough job. I wasn't taken out of it. I was way far less offended by the representations of RFK and the representations of Nixon than I was with Jim Norton trying to be... Don Rickles? Don Rickles. Nobody. And it's not nobody. Jim Norton's fault. I like right. Jim Norton, but nobody can be Don Rickles. I still kind of like that scene. Right. I mean, it's all right. I, it's I all like right. the scene. I like what yeah. happens between uh, the... Uh, Sebastian Maniscalco's Tony Gallo character right. and and Russ and and Frank there, but you, you can't be Don. You Rickles. got better Don Rickles jokes to steal from. Don't be Don Rickles. Okay. <laughs> Nobody can be Don Rickles. Uh, you got like the cast of JFK, the movie JFK. Yeah. You know the the real life characters in, in that movie are in this movie. Mm-hmm. In my life, those are just movies, <laughs> and movies are reality. But I guess in the actual world. You have some of the same people involved. You have Howard Hunt, who's in yeah this movie. He's in All the President's Men, which is another movie. Anyway, <laughs> you have David Ferry, who's Joe Pesci's character in JFK. He's a character in this movie. When uh, getting off the truck, De Niro drives the rig. Yeah, yeah. So I, the guns. you're making the point here that this is very tied to history, and there's a lot of history. I think you have called them historical touchstones, which is a nice way of putting it. This was obviously very steeped in Americana, and why wouldn't it be? Hoffa right. is... The great American mystery, right? If it's not OJ, it might be Hoffa. So it's, even though we know what happened with OJ, but it's, yeah. it's something people like to talk about still. And the way he films some of these assassinations, and I mean, that assassination at Columbus Circle of a real guy, and then the, the filming of the Joey Gallo. I mean, there's two totally different ways of doing it. You have Robert De Niro yeah. basically backing in there, bing, bang, boom, dead. It's the craziest scene. And this, and it's the got, camera is immaculate in that scene as well. The it's Tony got Gallo so character. much momentum yeah. and Umberto's, which is a wonderful, great <laughs> Little Italy, Arthur <laughs> Avenue, go. I've been to both. Just delicious. Good, good. Glad to hear it. And I, I want to go again. All right. All right anyway, <laughs> after watching this movie, I want to go again. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I don't care if people are killed there. I, I want to go. Yeah, I can't sit there now. <laughs> There's no way. you got to have a, a table facing the door. The way he films the S- Sebastian Maniscalco death scene, right? Mm-hmm. And then the way he films with the totally different kind of guitar music, you know, the scene in public where that guy gets shot. Oh, my God. I mean, it's some, two of the best scenes of the year. Yeah, I'm, and they're the, especially the one in public in front of the crowd of people. That's so Scorsese. Slow motion, a lot of hands. You don't really see what's going on. You Big have to fade blood out. Spatter. Yeah. yeah, it's oh. very Scorsese. And that's what the master is. It's kind of these guys are almost prisoners of their own making with how they've done throughout history of film because they have created so many of these tropes. And you can even talk about De Niro and Pacino's and True. Pesci's too. Gangster characters that they're going to be held up to their previous works. And that's almost unfair. But I, they are such masters that you have no choice but to do it. If he played a face melting guitar solo there, like it wouldn't work. <laughs> but he plays like this folk rock right. song, and it's just pitch perfect. Very Scorsese, and it's totally different than the, what you're seeing on screen. And, and it you're works. Right. Yeah, it's just trademark Scorsese. He's been doing it his whole career. Mike, I loved some of the storytelling novelties. It's just, it, but again, it's stuff that he's been doing his whole career. Like all the anecdotes, I'm a little concerned. Whenever anybody tells you they're a little concerned, <laughs> they're very concerned. And whenever anybody tells I'm you... I'm more than a little more concerned. More than a little yeah. concerned. Right. I mean, that's the, the, all those asides from Robert De Niro's voiceover, it just makes this so realistic. And it makes you love that character, despite the fact that we should hate 
that character. And it makes you respect the relationship between a, an awful person like Russ and an awful yeah. person like Frank and the relationship they have. And you, you do, it's again a credit to these wonderful actors that you do end up appreciating them and you do see them as so cool and so slick, even though they are an advanced age. I mentioned the slow motion, love that. The Buffalino wedding slow motion. Yeah. I mean, my God. I mean, there's a few family scenes where there's slow motion, a few party scenes with uh, Stephen Graham, etc. Slow motion. I, I could not rave more about it. I've run out of things to say. The captions, though. Everybody's so funny. Eulogy. Did so ever, funny. Did they ever stop being funny? I mean, they no, were just funny the whole they're time. They're so good that these people that uh, have all suffered these horrible, gruesome fates, and they're trying to be all slick and cool and push forward this large conspiracy, these backhanded kickback deals behind closed doors. Right. And they all meet the same fate in one way or another. So those are like repeated goods delivered throughout the movie. We got a couple scenes, some that we mentioned already too, but there's two scenes with Tony Pro and Al Pacino that are great in my opinion. Again, Stephen Graham's performance, incredible. Al Pacino's performance, like, that is a stubborn old man that I recognize. Mm -hmm. You know, I've known stubborn old men. And the fact that he's putting his foot down <laughs> and he's, I am done with this. And it, I've, I've seen that face before. It's They're it's, related to And me. it's a guy that's totally bought into his own hype, too, which yeah. is, by by many accounts, what Hoffa was at the end of the day. But the barbs that's, that are going back and forth throughout that, like, I'm still better than you because fraud is not as bad as... Right, right. And then in the world. second meeting in Miami, he says as much, too. He's like, you think you're better than me? Definitely. You know, like, <laughs> there's that, too. Yeah, I, I agree. But that's also the scene. That scene is where the altercation happens, where you are clearly using an Al Pacino stunt double. If you're going to do it there, right. do it elsewhere. Do it for Robert De Niro. I mean, Robert De Niro yeah. wanted to do the Tom Cruise thing. Give him credit. Ten years ago, maybe. <laughs> that banquet sequence. The whole sequence. One of one of my favorites in a while. I mean, you got... It's what it is. You got... Yeah, you got these great side conversations that are just high-pitched, high, as high stakes as you can ever have yeah, in Yeah, the high-tension dick-measuring contests that go on between Hoffa and whoever, whether it is Fat Tony or whether, whether it is Russ and... De Niro is this go-between trying to smooth things over on both ends. Yeah. They're so well-written. They're so true to life. They're so relatable. I mean, hopefully, God willing, none of our listeners have had these exact types of conversations, <laughs> but we could all relate to being the go-between between two friends or two family members or two sons and trying to play both sides to the middle until one plays the trump card. In this case, the trump card happens to be Russ. It's what it is. Tell him it's what we're going to kill him if he doesn't shape up and... Pacino's response is just as egregious. Nobody threatens Hoffa. It's crazy that Pacino is hearing these things. Yeah. And he is hearing them. And like at first I was like, does he understand the lingo? Oh, he says it right back to De Niro both times. Me they're threatening yeah. me and I gotta do what they say. They wouldn't dare kill me. I mean, because I have all this shit on them. And I don't love things always getting spelled out that way in movie scenes, and it is repetitive. But I kind of love it. It's the Anthony Hopkins rule. Right. Uh, it's these guys delivering them sp the spelling out. And they because can they do can do it. it. Right, exactly. Because, I mean, he's doing 10 different things. Anthony Hopkins could give exposition because he's Anthony Hopkins and he knows how to do it. And then you get all the festivities of the banquet in between all that other shit. And you get a, you basically, you canvas the whole crowd and you get everybody's reactions in that scene. Go listen to the Nomcast. Andrew there at the Nomcast had Jordan Di Natale, uh, who plays one of Frank Sheeran's daughters in the movie. And uh, she, she just describing this whole shoot uh, to it. It, was, it sounded That's amazing. Awesome. I, I hope they got to eat some of the food. That would have been my question for them. We'll try to have her on so you can get yeah, that asked. Please, please, uh, thank you. The little FUs that Scorsese writes into for these characters to do, for example, when De Niro is explaining to Pacino 
Russ is going to kill you. Right. What's Pacino do when he's breaking away from the conversation? He asks Peggy if Peggy wants to dance. As just a little, uh, yeah, f you. It's my. He says it's my union. It, the, the really inscrutable things that he writes into these characters to make you feel like. You know, murder's not good, but what other option is there at this point? <laughs> He's pretty stubborn. It this makes one. it feel believable. If they can whack a president, they can whack a president <laughs> of a union. I mean, I get it. I get right. it. It's crazy, and it has implications because it's worked into the plot, though. Too. Exactly. Like, you have the Kennedy stuff leading into that. Unbelievable. And the Pacino monologue, talking yeah. about... John Kennedy or Daddy Kennedy yeah. suffering on his deathbed and blaming it on the kid. They killed him. They killed him! It's crazy. The two <laughs> office scenes with him in that office. Are- and this is why I think Pacino might be my yeah. number one supporting right now, even oh, wow. over Pitt. Because he's just delivering these with such gusto and just lavishing these lines that are... It's a man losing his mind. Objectively, this is a man losing his grip on reality. But because this Hoffa character has been built to be this asshole right, <laughs> between he, Scorsese and Pacino you bu- you buy into it drunk with power right the drunkest blacked out with power absolutely and absolutely I, I I loved it too and it's him being the most Pacino we've seen yeah, at, in a, a thousand he's digging down deep yeah. and he's bringing some classic out so how about the Pesci and De Niro scenes leading up to the assassination I I, I thought they're great I mean and, and Pesci just strategically telling De Niro a little bit at a time. In the books, this is much different. In the books, De Niro's character, Frank Sheeran. Frank Sheeran is based De Niro's character. <laughs> in the books, Robert De Niro has nothing to do with the books. In the books, Frank Sheeran's character is basically hoping that he gets involved in the hit. Because if they don't involve him in the hit, he knows that he and his wife, Rini, are dead. Mm. So he's like, they're either going to ask me to kill my friend... Or they're going to kill him. I'm dead, yeah. And it's totally different. Like, out of self-preservation, he is he's kind of rooting for it. In this movie, he's kind of shocked, but he's not. But he he's considering calling Jimmy. They do a good job of establishing that he doesn't really have a choice. Like, he has to align with Russ. Yeah. Because Russ has already saved his life on a number of occasions. Even at the very beginning with the other linen factory, he's, where he's dealing with Angelo and Harvey Keitel's that, character. That's the whole disconnect between Hoffa and De Niro's character. Hoffa thinks Frank is unabashedly loyal to him. But also, Hoffa doesn't think they're capable of getting to him. Right. Or they, they, that they should, because he'll release stuff afterwards that they could clean up the mess on him. Because... Hoffa thinks he's much more powerful than he is Mm -hmm. when these guys, if they make that decision, it's happening. And that's where the ending... De Niro knows how powerful they are. Yeah, and and, and yet the ending is about this old guy dying alone in a retirement home and nobody knows and nobody really cares. And I get that's the message of the ending. And so it makes sense in that regard that this is this big important moment in American history. That's true. Like he has a whole second life. Like his whole world is just being interviewed for, you know, years at a time by by uh, by these authors. And then, oh my God, you're the guy that killed Jimmy Hoffa. And then everybody knows that fact. I think that came out afterwards. But he has has this whole second life that that is the last chapter in his life telling his story right that's why i don't get it yeah i don't like I, I'm it's not, not just either. a few half-assed hail marys to a priest mm-hmm. and he's lonely right agree yeah so a, a lot of goods and i know uh you want to end on one more and it's another highlight for both of us the, the phone call that he makes wow to joe best Hoffa. best acting from de niro in this movie yeah and i don't know what the message was he was going for there and you said you weren't sure how he was playing it either he's a mumbly guy 
Yeah. And he's extra mumbly. I mean, it is very breathy and very exasperated. And I don't know if it was an act. I don't know if it was some real feelings from this unemotional guy coming out at the time. He did say that when he got this story, De Niro, back in 2005, and he brought it to Scorsese, and they greenlit something, mm-hmm. got the ball rolling in like 2007, 2008. He did say that it made him cry, De Niro. And the reason Scorsese wanted to do it was because Robert De Niro, the guy he's respected so much, was crying pitching him the story. Yeah, and that's, that's probably the scene that did it, I would guess. So, that could have should have been an ending as well, but there's a lot in that scene. And I'd like to think he was, it was Frank being genuine and really feeling sorry for his friend and not being that deceitful because the whole relationship with him and his daughter was that he was being openly a bad person throughout the movie. So why be deceitful in that moment? Why not be honest and bear his soul a little bit? Nonetheless, you said it fantastically acted scene. If he gets in, he gets in probably because of that, scene, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. But he's got a couple with Pesci there. I mean, in the restaurant, like we said, and then the next morning at breakfast when he's actually given the, the confirmation. And Scorsese did a fantastic job building up that relationship. The, the idea of, Frank, you need to kill this guy was boiled down to little more than a look between Pesci and, and De Niro at a certain point because they had just gotten to know each other so well. And, and think about the whole assassination sequence and, and De Niro's performance within the performance within the performance there. <laughs> Like, how do you direct that? Yeah. Like, you just got to know that. Yeah. Like, you got to act like you're not acting, <laughs> but your character is acting. And action. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Good <How>? notes. <laughs> Good luck. All right. Let's wrap this up and put a bow on it. Let's give this our final grade. Like we said, well, a lot of an interesting movie on many accounts, not just on the face of the content and the source material, but we have something that both of us are pretty much in awe of, yet at the same time, we have our issues with. Mike, where do we land on this? So I'm like... A plus for music, A plus for this, A plus for that, A plus plus for the other things because I love this movie so much. And I'm probably like, it all weighs in with the like two Fs or the two D minuses <laughs> right. or whatever I give those. Maybe a C minus. I still don't think it's fucking Oscar worthy to have VFX. <laughs> the v- the effects you're talking or the, about. Yeah. Or the makeup and hairstyling, which is terrible in there at all. I just, I, I hate them. They make me. They almost made me hate the movie. They made me hate the movie for a hot second before I saw some more food or saw another man that I recognized or whatever. This movie has to be something at the end of the day that I come down highly on. I just can't go away from that fact. I, I love this movie. It's an A minus ninety, despite its flaws, in my opinion. Yeah, we're pretty much on the same the curve we always have. Uh, I I echo a lot of what you say. I was taken out. It's weird. The more I think about the movie, the more issues I have with it, especially mm-hmm. upon rewatch. Mm-hmm. But you can't take away from its greatness and what the, the quality of picture it is, especially technically, despite the, the fact that the FX are so jarringly bad and do enough to take you out of the movie. Uh, I was an 87 after first watch. I'm probably a point less. I'm that 86, 87 BB plus line right now. I expect it to be nominated for Best Picture. It makes a lot of sense, and it should be nominated for Best Picture. I think that that that's just one of the best films of the year. I don't know that I would call it the best, and I don't know once we get down to researching and restudying all these films that we've done and given OSPs to uh, come January that I'm going to settle on this being one of the top two or three movies of the year, mm-hmm. but I think it's in the top ten, without question. I, think, I definitely think there's novelty right now to it. Sure. I do think it's going to come back to the pack a little bit as well. Yeah. 
I think that's the feeling I have um, I have with it as well. But as always, guys, we want to hear from you. What did you think about this movie overall? Do you think it's in that B plus, A minus range like Mike and I both do? Are you higher or are you lower on it? What do you think about the, as far as how many nominations this thing gets? Uh, do you think we're in that range of 8 to 10, double digits more or less? We want to hear from you. You can leave us those thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, as well as thoughts and comments about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. You can reach out to us, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MMM. Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. So if you own an iPhone, happen to use Apple Podcasts or the app, just if you can tap on that purple square with the white, I don't know, De Niro <laughs> sticking out of it, uh, tap on that, type in Mike, Mike and Oscar into the search, scroll down after tapping on our logo, you can leave us five stars. Thank you for all those who have and will. And if you can tell your friends to do so, that would be a huge help, Michael. <gasps> What is coming next from us? And what are some words of wisdom to end on? It's what it is. It is what it is. Those are good <laughs> words of wisdom. I think so. Uh, I hope nobody ever says that to me, by the way. Just ever. kill me. Don't, don't play the don't games. Don't even play the games. Just, yeah, kill just me. Uh, one in the back. All right. Anyway, <laughs> Knives Out, Marriage Story. Those are the two uh, OSPs we got on the schedule next. We have the Golden Globes Ugh. nominations next Monday that we're going to report on ASAFP. We got an MMOW that we're eventually going to get to, folks. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> There's just too much stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but Words of Wisdom is, it's fun to come up with puns about movie titles. <laughs> Die Hard with a book deal. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Distractingly Shiny. Old Yeller starring Al Pacino. <laughs> the Fallen 2 and the Can't Get up. I admire your restraint to wait until the end of the episode to have more of these. Bringing Out the Dead to star in one more movie. <laughs> couldn't done better effects because they couldn't have done it. Thank you. <laughs> Those are terrible. I recognize this. That's why I didn't say them at the top of the show, but they were fun. Guys, when reality or your puns suck, you can come watch movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Got a special guest for you with the Knives Out OSP. We will see you very soon for that. See ya. In the still of the night.